taken uh, several weeks now where we've been looking at some of the, your favorite Bible verses that you sent in, and it's our series called Mixtape. We've also had the privilege of being able to have other preachers come and expound those texts for us, and uh, so this morning we have the privilege of hearing from uh, Pastor Rick Insrud. He was the pastor at Brooklyn Park Evangelical Free, now Revive Church, for 26 years. He now is serving with TNET, and he's training pastors uh, around the globe, specifically focusing in Africa. Will you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Rick Insrud? Thank God. Thank you very much. And I want to thank Pastor John right at the start for uh, letting me come and preach out of his pulpit. I've been a pastor a long time, and I know how nervous I get when I have somebody else come and preach. You're never sure what's going to happen. And uh, I assure you, I still don't know what's going to happen, John. So you better stay nervous. Um, I do want to just say, too, that uh, after my wife, Lana, and I uh, left uh, our church at uh, Brooklyn Park, we had to do a long search for a a home congregation. And I think it was about a year, a little over a year, we were visiting and visiting. We were church hopping, I guess you want to call it. But then we came over here, and I think it was the very first Sunday, I think we went home and we just said, you know, I think we found our, our church. And a lot of it was because of Pastor John's exposition and his teaching of the Word. Uh, and it's hard to find that these days, I'll tell you. I didn't realize it until you started looking. And, uh, uh, you know, we both just felt ministered to, but also just the church in general. We just felt at home here. And I want to thank some of you who've reached out to us. But also, uh, I, Pastor John has a pastoral heart. Uh, you know, I travel a lot to Africa when I'm gone, and he will send an email to my wife just saying, how are you doing? How are things going? And that just really kind of surprised us, I think, in a, any church about this size. And, but he's got a pastor's heart. And so... Um, thank you, John, for, Pastor John, for allowing me to come today. I really do that. Now, my message today is based on one verse, and somebody here picked it, uh, but it's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you have one, and you can turn there. I'm going to read a couple of other verses with it, verses 12 and 13, as we start. If you're in the New Testament, you're in the wrong place. You've got to get to the Old Testament. That's where Jeremiah is. Little past Psalms. And I would encourage you to turn there as I read the text uh, this morning. And uh, so starting in verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, it reads this way, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me, with all your heart. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for opportunity this morning to look into your word and for great 
verses like this, Lord, we, we, we desperately need it. We look around us and we see a world that struggles to find any kind of hope. And sometimes the future that we think is going to come just doesn't seem very good. Um, Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning who feels hopeless, feels lost, feels alone, feels like we're not sure they really have a, a plan that God would want them to live out, I pray they would be encouraged in particular. I pray all of us would be encouraged by the wonderful promises here in this scripture. So we ask you to guide our time in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and in that time, I have met many, many people who have expressed hopelessness in their life, and that they have no future. And, uh, you know, they're thinking about, what do I need to do to get it together? Will life ever work for me? Will, will I ever be able to experience what I think I should experience in my life? And um, I'm sure you've met people like that. Uh, they're around us every day. There are some here this morning, I am certain. And we lose hope because we don't really think we have a future. Uh, now, Tiger, Wool, uh, Tiger Woods was uh, really the world's greatest golfer for a long time. For 264 weeks, he was the number one golfer in the world. That's unheard of. I mean, that's five years. Uh, unbelievable. And probably no one will ever be that, uh, accomplish that again. And then things just sort of fell apart for him. A lot of it was bad choices. He got hurt. He, he just didn't play well. And you don't even find him in the listing hardly anymore. And uh, he is a man who's struggling today to find a future and a hope. I, I, uh, he, quoted, he was quoted in a recent magazine about how he's struggling with his identity. And he said this, there's really nothing I can look forward to. I'm really good at playing video games. That's basically how I pass a lot of my time. It's really sad. Yet there's a lot of people like that. Uh, when I was in Africa this, uh, about four weeks ago, I got notice that a good friend of mine had died very suddenly. And he was a guy who I uh, got to know through Celebrate Recovery that we had at our church. And he struggled a lot with alcohol and substance abuse, but he really was getting his life back together. And then things began to change over the last few months. I knew that. I could sense it in him. And uh, his marriage fell apart. His finances began to crumble. And he quit his job. And he went on a two-week binge of alcohol and drugs. And they found him in his apartment all alone, dead. Now, the diagnosis was he died because of some kind of congestive heart failure due to all that. But I think he died because he lost hope. I know he lost hope. He forgot his future. Even though he's a Christian brother, it happens. It happens to Christians as well. And I come to this verse, and it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and hope. What a great verse. Uh, ever since John told me I was going to preach in that verse, I got a little uh, wristband with... Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 on it, so I'd really get it down, okay? And uh, I wear this all the time. I went to my doctor about uh, three weeks ago. He was checking me over. He was holding my pulse, and he began to read this. You know, like this, and I kind of listened, you know, watched. And when it was all over, he put it down. I said, well, doc, what do you think? And he said, interesting. And that's all he would say. Well, people, uh, 
this verse is more than interesting. It is a great verse. However, this verse is found in a very bad chapter. This is not a great verse found in a great chapter. This is a bad verse, or I should say a, a, a great verse found in a, in a bad, bad chapter. And it is telling us that we can find in the midst of that our future and our hope. And I want to do this morning, I want to help us understand how God wants us to find that future and to have hope. So let's look again into Jeremiah 29, verse 11. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Aren't you glad that somebody knows your plan? Right? Because sometimes we just don't. And he says, I know the plans for you, declares the Lord. And I'm not going to tell you a lot, but I'm going to tell you this much, that they're not for bad. They're not for evil. They are for your welfare. They are for your own good. And I'm going to give you a future. And I'm going to give you a tomorrow. Now let's look at the context of this whole passage, because you need to understand it. In, in Jeremiah 29, what you have is a group of people of Israel who are in a desperate situation. They have negative circumstances. They are carried off into exile. They are in, under divine judgment. And they're, on top of that, they're being led by false prophets, okay? They are under the divine discipline of God. Because you see, Israel, if you don't know the history, they couldn't get along with one another. And so they had a war and they divided and there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had nothing but bad, bad kings. And quickly they went downhill. And in 722 BC, God disciplined them by pulling them out of that area. They were carried off by Assyria, where we kind of know it's around the Syria area today. And they were never really heard of again. And about 116 years later, because they had some better kings to make it last a little longer, the southern kingdom of Judah finally goes into discipline because of their rebellion against God, and they're carried off. And in verse 4, if you have your Bibles open, in Jeremiah 29, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this passage is to people who have been placed into exile under the judgment of God because they rebelled against God. They were under his discipline uh, because of their sins. God, in a sense, is spanking them. And they're in captivity. They're far from home. And day after day and month after month and year after year, they don't see any solution. And on top of that, they are incarcerated in a place called Babylon, which is filled with pagan ideas and adulterous activities and all kinds of things that are against God. This was a terrible place to live. This was not where the Christians would hang out normally. And so they're being judged for their sins. And on top of this, their pastors were preaching them error. They were leading them astray. Look at verse 8 and 9 of Jeremiah 29. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you en uh, encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now this was said a long time ago, but I tell you, it's like, we're just reading things today when we read that. 
There are a lot of folks today who are giving out false hope to people in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he says, they prophesy in my name. They say, come to this church and tithe and, and you'll become rich. Or if you just, you know, you want, if you follow God, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and things will just go wonderfully for you. And that's not true. It never has been true. And it never will be true in this life, in this world. But you see, when people need hope, and when their hope is gone, they'll listen to about anything because they are having pain. And they need something to fill the emptiness in their life. And these false prophets were taking advantage of this group and they were misusing them and they were abusing them. It, of course, I, I want to make it clear, God heals, yes, and God blesses, yes, and God causes prosperity. But if, if you have the impression that serving God means there are no problems, then you've never served God long enough. It's full of problems. There's a scripture, you know, in James chapter 1, it says, Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, testing, difficulties, because knowing that the trials and testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, I have a friend who says, I don't like this verse. I wish, I wish it wasn't in the Bible, because I like to go through my trials really fast. I don't want to have to endure you know, we can, we can go to promises in the Bible, like in Hebrews 13, chapter 5, or verse 5, where it says, I will never leave you, God says. I will never forsake you. So whatever you're going through, you can know you don't go through it alone. God hasn't deserted us. That's a great assurance. But if you think the words, I will never leave you nor forsake you, mean that you're going to have a world that, that's the way the world counts prosperity, you're destined to a slippery place. You know, I enjoy pretty good health at my age. I, I, I do. I mean, I, I look, maybe don't look that, but I do. Um, and uh, I have friends, however, that don't have good health. And it isn't that God has blessed me in a particular way and hurt them in a particular way. He deals with each of us where we are, as we are, so that when the situations come, we can give him the glory. And that's what it's all about. These people in Jeremiah 29 are in a desperate situation. They have negative circumstances around them. They are in divine judgment. They're in a pagan land and are being led astray by their pastors. And in the midst of all this hopelessness, verse 11 comes. And in the midst of this discouragement, God gives us verse 11. And in the midst of this pain, God gives us verse 11. I know the plans that I have for you. And if you're here today and you're looking for hope, and you're looking for the purpose and for your, your life, and you're tired of living aimlessly and meandering around from one thing to the next, and you want to know God, plan for your life he wants you to know it it's not a matter that I don't want God's plan it's that I don't know where to go I'm confused as where to go I I can't listen to the prophets because they are telling me the wrong thing I can't listen to the Babylonians because 
they don't know God, and God, you're ticked off at me, and that's why I'm in this situation in the first place. And uh, so where do, where do I go? How do I find a future and a hope? Well, look again at verse 11, would you? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Where do you find hope? In God's plan for you. Now, why is that important? Because God says, I still have a plan. It's not over because things look bad right now. How do you know that God has a plan for you? Simple. You're here this morning. You woke up. God gave you another day. Every day I get up, I always quote this verse. I say in my head, I say, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice in it and be glad. God gives you one more day. You know you got a plan that God wants to live out in and through you. I know the plans I have for you. Yeah, but God, I don't, you know, you, you don't understand. I, I, I don't know the plan. I, I don't know the plan you have for me. Let me just state a principle, uh, the major principle I really believe of this passage that, that it's found and supported in other places, but let me just state it this way, that, that your greatest lessons of faith are learned while you're in the dark. Your greatest lesson of faith is while you're in the dark. When I was a kid growing up in North Dakota on a farm, we uh, heated our home early on when I was a kid by coal. And my father had a coal chute down in the, the basement. It was really just a hole in the ground. It was a cellar, we called it. And, and he would go down there and put coal in the furnace and he would go from the outside, he'd flip over this big door, and he would walk down underneath that house, and it would be dark, and I couldn't see him as a kid. I could hear him working down there, I could never see him. And I thought about a story I once heard of a little girl who had that situation. She was standing at the top of the stairs, looking down. She heard her daddy down there, and, and she couldn't see him, and she said, Daddy, Daddy. And he was concerned that she was going to start stumbling down the stairs and maybe hurt herself on those concrete steps. And so he said to her, honey, he said, I'm here. Just jump. Just jump. And without any equivocation, she jumped into his arms and he caught her. Now, for that little girl to do that meant she had to trust that her daddy was a good man. It meant that she had to believe he was really there. And he, she certainly had to believe that her daddy loved her. That even if it was going into the dark, he was there. And that's all that she needed. Now, to do what that girl did, we have to do that sometimes in life. It's when you don't know what in the world God is doing and how he's doing it and why it's taking so long for it to happen. And you kind of get ticked off at God a bit and you, you want him to show more, but 
He's really saying, I want you to trust me more. Because he says, I know something you don't know. I know the plan for you. You may not know it right now, but I know the plan for you. That's all you need to know. I know it's dark right now. I, I know it's maybe unclear where exactly you're headed or exactly, you know, uh, where I'm taking you. But hold on, because when God moves, you'll know it. But he says, I, I know the plans I have for you. Even though you may be being disciplined, even though you may be living in a pagan environment or, or, or workplace, and even though the church may be not doing it for you, God says, I know the plan I have for you. God has a plan for you. You may not know it. The details may be obscure. Uh, it may not be fully flushed out in your mind. I know that all these things may be coming at you, some things that right now you want to pull the hair out of your head in the midst of your confusion, but God says, I have a plan for you, and I know it. Now, he gives a little more information than that, though, doesn't he? Here's what he says. I, I, I have plans for you to prosper you and not to harm you or to bring calamity. And he says it, it involves your future and your tomorrow, and it's a plan that has hope. That's good news. God has got your tomorrow covered, even though you haven't been there yet. He already has your plan scoped out. And uh, I know it's dark, but he's saying, but don't, don't walk away. I have a future for you. So what do you mean, Lord? I mean, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? Am I supposed to just sit here and do nothing? No, no. The text goes on to tell us a few other things. He's got some things for you to do. Look at verse 5. He says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, is what he said to Israel. What's the principle? He's just simply saying, be productive wherever you are. Maybe you don't know what your plan is for God's got for you, but wherever you are today, then be productive there. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Maximize who you are, your potential. All that there is you can do, all there is that you can do, do it. Maximize what is before you and become productive. While you are waiting on God to make the change to come, while you're waiting on God to turn things around, there's a saying that I love, carpe diem in Latin. It means seize the moment. Be where you are and live it for God, even though you know there's got to be something more. And he'll show it when the time comes. A lot of us, while we're waiting on God, are doing nothing. And there's plenty to be done. There's only one time you do nothing, and that is when there is nothing you can do. If there's nothing you can do, you do nothing. But if God has given you something at your hand to do, you do it according to the text, with all of your heart and might. But you say, I don't see where this is going to pull things together for me. That's because you haven't seen the rest of God's plan and what he says. I have a future and a hope. He goes on to say in verse 6, look at it. 
marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. He says be productive or multiply. Now in the Old Testament, most of these references are referring to physical things. And he was actually telling them, have big families, okay? And let make sure that you're, you're getting your kids married off. That's wonderful. But when we come to the New Testament, many of those things are really to be thought of more spiritually speaking. When Jesus left this earth, he could have said a lot of things, couldn't he? But he only said one thing. Do you remember what it is? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always. You see, Jesus was about multiplication. And Paul understood that when he said, you need to teach, find faithful people, teach them that they would teach others and they would teach others. That's how the kingdom of God is multiplied. And rather than sitting around on our hands and wondering, well, God, what's my plan? What's my plan? God's already given you a major step, and that is make some disciples. Start with your family. Start in your church. Start with people who you may meet and meet and lead to Jesus Christ. But God is about the business of multiplication. There's a hundred creative ways, by the way, to do this. I'm convinced that there's practically no way, no wrong way to go about making disciples. And absolutely no right way not to go and make disciples and multiply. Home Bible studies, evangelistic dinners, single meetings, short-term, long-term missions, prayer breakfast, men's retreat, women's retreat, sportsmen's banquet, camps, conferences, music ministry, children's work. I mean, look at all the needs the children's ministry has right now. And the, and, and the youth ministry, and prayer walking in the neighborhood, uh, uh, abuse, uh, you know, support groups. Am I getting everybody? I hope I am. I'm trying to, okay? And so God says, while you're sitting and you say you're waiting for the plan, he says, I want you to maximize what God, I've already given you. Just do what I'm giving you right now. Not only that, I want you to multiply. I want you to be productive. But he goes on one more time, and he says in verse 7, also, meaning additionally, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Now, you know you're in exile, don't you? You do know that. As a Christian, you are, this is not your home. You're passing through. But we are surrounded by people around us who don't know God. And I, I really believe what, what God was saying here. Look, uh, be a blessing to these pagans. Bring hope to them. And the question is, are you being a blessing? Are you, if you are, you're setting yourself up for blessing. And as you're being a blessing, one of the reasons that we lose hope is we start to focus on ourselves and not on others. And the more you look at yourself and your own situation, you become your own worst enemy and you destroy yourself. Do you understand that? That the more inwardly I look at my situation, 
the more I'm helping myself to destroy myself. If you mess up and the only person you see is you, you're helping you help yourself to do yourself in. No, while you are waiting on God to show his plan, he is, he says, be a blessing to others. Seek the welfare of others. In spite of your circumstances, you be, be productive, be a multiplier, be a blessing. And there's no better way, as Pastor John said earlier in preparation for communion, I believe it was, there's no better way to bless people than to share God's love with them. Tell them of the Savior that you know. Pray for them as you encounter people in their hopelessness. Pray for them in the name of Jesus Christ. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to do those things. Just bless people with the love that Jesus Christ has given you. I'm in a group uh, of men uh, from different churches, and, and uh, we have been studying the characteristics of a disciple, and one of them was courage. And we got done, we're talking about courage and how we're supposed to have our hand to the plow and not look back and all these kind of wonderful passages in Scripture. And we all sat there and realized, when's the last time we really stepped out and talked to somebody about Jesus? It takes courage to do that, doesn't it? in this culture. And one of the guys says, I know what we need to do. Let's make up a questionnaire on who Jesus is, and then we'll go around to our neighbors and we'll ask them, who do you think Jesus is? And he had all these questions. And I said, well, that's a great idea. Well, yeah, we could try that. And one of the guys says, if I do that, I have to wear a diaper because it's going to be too scary, you know. And it, but, but the point is, there was a hunger to want to be a blessing. The other day, I, I drove up to a parking lot and I saw this lady, and I knew that she must have been from Africa. I could just kind of tell by the dress, but she was looking frantic, and she had her garage, the, the van open, she was going back and forth, and she saw me sitting there, and she came walking over, and I put my window down, and she said, uh, can you help me? And I said, well, sure, what is it? I said, would you just come and pray for my son? And so I, I, I got out of the car, went over, and I just expected to see, you know, and son, and here's a little boy with cerebral palsy, stretched out in a little cart. She's so desperate. She says, would you just pray for him? Pray that God might heal him. And so I... I I began to pray for him, and, you know, um, it helped her. And I trusted it was going to help her son. But there are people like that all over that really need a blessing from us. There's one more thing here, and uh, I want to bring it out. It's those verses that follow verse 11. Notice what it says again. It says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me. I, I think I'm way over time here. You know what? I look up at that screen and it says minus 40. I'm really hurting, aren't I? All right. I can't believe you do this in 30 minutes. It's really fun. He says, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, when we read that, what do we think? 
We read it this way. When you seek the solution, you will find the solution when you search for the solution with all your heart. But that's not what the verse says. It says, when you seek me, you will find me. When you search for me, God says, I have a plan. But don't seek the plan. Seek me. I know where the plan is. You don't. Think about it. You know, when Adam needed someone in his life, he was made by the dirt, and he saw the animals. They didn't mean he, they couldn't fulfill his life at all. What did God do? God caused a deep sleep on him, and he, he reached into his, it says really the word is side. He took his side. He was only half the man he was before. And he took the, 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 that rib, and he fashioned, the word fashion means intricately developed a woman. Because he needed someone who could intricately match up with Adam. And then she became a live person. She didn't know anything about Adam. He took Adam by the hand. It says that he took her and he brought him to Adam. And Adam and his best friend said, ooh la la. And uh, they lived happily ever after. Okay, not quite. But the point being is Adam had nothing to do with that, did he? It was all God's plan at work. I have a plan for you, God says. It's a good one. You're, you're here this morning, and some of you might be saying, I wish, um, I wish I would have gotten to it earlier. And maybe it would have been better if you would have. Maybe it would have been better if you wouldn't have been wandering from God. Or maybe it would have been better if you hadn't married out of the will of God. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe if you weren't, so stubborn, it, it might have happened faster. Uh, but the point is that he says, I have a plan for you. And even in the midst of that, I can get you on it. I love what F.B. Meyer says about not living in the past. He says, it is a mistake to be always turning back to recover the past. The law for Christian living is not backward, but forward. Not for experiences that lie behind but for doing the will of God which is always ahead and beckoning us to follow leave the things that are behind and reach forward to those that are before for on each new height in which we attain there are the appropriate joys that befit the new experience don't fret because life's joys are fled there are more in front look up press forward the best is yet to come I have a plan for you. Seventy years later, these people who were hearing this finally saw the plan. Prophets have been saying, oh, maybe a year or two. But no, God said it's going to be longer. You just wait. And you say, but you don't know the mess I'm in? Well, then you don't know the God that we're talking about. He can take care of a lot of things. There's a song country western song by Carrie Underwood. Underwood. It's called Jesus Take the Wheel. Some of you know that? It's about a single mom trying to get back home with her child and, and she's, uh, one of the lines is she's low on gasoline and low on faith. And she hits some ice on the road and the car's kind of out of control and it's just like her life is out of control and she says Jesus take the wheel. That's what it means to find a future and a hope. Turning it over to Jesus. I could share with you a little bit about how I've seen that in my own life, but I don't have the time to do it, and I'm not going to. But if you want to find a future and a hope, 
then do what the text is really saying. Seek God first because he has the plan for you. And in the meantime, while you're trying to really see what that plan is, be productive and be a multiplier. Make disciples. Live with a passion for the Great Commission. Be a blessing to others, but keep seeking God and not the plan. There's a scripture, Philippians 1.6. I think it's on the screen. It's a wonderful scripture. It says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a promise. And John Maxwell, the author and Bible uh, or uh, pastor, wrote the following. He said, what God starts, God finishes. What God begins, God ends. What God initiates, God completes. Now, I know you'll forget the sermon this morning, but I don't want you to forget the verse. I would encourage all of you to get a little <laughs> something to remind you of it, whether it's a card or whatever. But let's read it together. I think we got it up there. Could you read it with me? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Do you believe that? I pray that you will. Let's bow together. Father God, thank you that you are a God who keeps his word. No matter what the circumstances around us may tell us, your word is always true. And you have said that you have a plan for us, and that plan may not be easy. In fact, unlikely it will not be easy, but it will be for our own good. And I pray that today we've moved our faith meter a little deeper, and I pray particularly for those who feel really lost. Maybe they don't know even that they're a child of God, and I pray that you'd help them to understand that if they just simply would have faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, believing in him as the Savior for them, that they would turn their life over to him right now. And I pray, Father, for many of us here, healthy Christians, growing, but yet we are struggling with wondering what's the next step. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would not allow us to lose faith, but to believe in the promise that you have a future and a hope for us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.